Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to everyone and thanks for tuning in on this glorious day here in Johannesburg. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Timbela and I'm delighted to be in your midst. You know, I often said this is the most powerful country in the world from politics to economics. There's just so many fascinating stories that we hear every day. What actually caught my attention uh, this this afternoon was the succession debate within the ANC ranks um, that was sort of stopped on its tracks by the Minister of Transport, who actually lambasted the Deputy President for opening up the, the succession debate. Mr. Fungilo Malula, in his wisdom, says, you know, the Deputy President is out of order, essentially, for expressing his desire to contest in the forthcoming elections. You know, I think Malula had a fair point reigning in the deputy president for it was not the exact time for him to express his view, even though in some point, in some other time, he had said he wasn't going to be contesting the election that the deputy president, so clearly, um, you know, smart men often change their mind as the deputy president has done so. But what I found fascinating about his response when he was being called by journalists, he said he was being provoked. That is why he ventured to express his view about the succession debate. So my sense that next time when you have a conversation with the deputy president, David Mabuza, if you want to put him in a corner, provoke him. And I'm sure you might get uh, a view or two on that position. In the economic front, what I found fascinating was an article published by Business Day which indicates the role of Treasury in the market. Um, Treasury has banned the use of imported cement on all government-funded projects. I mean, this announcement uh, prompted, as we've seen based on the article, biggest surge in the share price of local cement, which is PPC. The position taken by Treasury, I find it very interesting as it denounces the so-called invisible hand of the market. Because the assumption that Treasury is making is that the market is not self-regulatory, The thinking, as we all know, for those that follow a neoclassical rule in terms of the role of the market, is that if the customer is unhappy about a particular product, they'll vote with their feet. They don't need government to interfere by regulating. But on the other hand, it's quite a very useful proposition, given the fact that there's been argument about the quality of these foreign products, which are perceived to be inferior. So that's something very fascinating about this country. One heavily the deputy president who's been told, shush, you can't go there, it's not a time. And by the way, I've been told by someone who is relatively junior to him. But anyway, that's politics in South Africa. If you missed our conversation last week, we had a very interesting debate with Charles Anyoui from Ghana, who is the president of Africa Interpretive Conference, and Francois Fisher from Growth Diagnostic at University of, uh, University of Northwest Business School. Our conversation was so packed. We really teeth sunk in the actual role of the local government as a catalyst of business development. So if you really missed that particular episode, not to worry, simply go to our website, download it, and share your view with us. Our SMS line are always known, 34519. And of course, my Twitter handle is at Mbele Nimrod. Before we kickstart the program, as it were, it's often appropriate to give credence to those that um, are behind the show. Kabisa, thank you very much for organizing 
the show and making sure that those gremlins aren't there. Moving on swiftly into the gist of our conversation today, we are joined by Ruth Laurie Mayman, who is an entrepreneur based in Israel. We just need to get a picture from her about how the country has been perceived abroad, especially in Israel. Ruth used to live in South Africa, so she's got a very fair assessment of how the country looks like. We can sort of juxtapose that with Israel. We're quite keen on those kind of, you know, on those kinds of anecdotes, be it in the investment destination, be it in tourism, be it in educational excursion, be it in religious spectrum. These are elements of commonality between the two countries. South Africans obviously has a quite a significant cohort of uh, Christians who would often visit um, Israel for religious purposes. I'm also joined by Dr. Falala, who would be joining us as well as he used to work with Ruth. Dr. Falala, as an entrepreneur and somebody who's well-traveled, would obviously uh, contribute to this fascinating conversation with Ruth as she knows daily. Colleagues, without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome both. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here tonight. Thank you very much. And Dr. Falala, also you are most welcome. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mbella. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and to Ruth. Thank you very much. Ruth, uh, if we take a snippet, I want us to you to paint a picture as who is Ruth Laurie Mayman? I'm sure the listener would be quite keen to hear or to know some of them could have been your friends, your colleagues, and so on and so forth. In just a second, as we proceed, this is Beyond Governance, and my name is Nimrod. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. If you have just joined us, we are having a conversation with Ruth Laurie Mayman, who is an entrepreneur based in Israel. Uh, Ruth, also joined by Dr. Falala, who is the a thought leader in the research space. He had an opportunity to work with Ruth at some point in their lives. Ruth, before we, we took that short detour, I was just about to ask you to quickly introduce yourself. You definitely have a lot of friends, business partners in the country and so on and so forth. Please. Ruth Lurie Maimon. Uh, Maimon is uh, one of the, the Jewish uh, rabbis long time. Um, so thank you very much for having me. I am an Israeli consultant. I deal in advertising research and essentially fast-moving consumer research. The person who introduced me to this world is Dr. Falala. So he's very much my mentor and my tutor and my first research thought leader and essentially introduced me to the business. So I owe him a lot of my career. Of my career. I was born in Israel, but we left Israel when I was 13. We came over to South Africa. I lived in South Africa for 17 years. I went to school there. Um, I went to university. I started working at a consultancy, then worked for Dr. Falala at Plus 94, and then did a few other jobs, eventually leaving South Africa um, at the age of 30, uh, coming back to Israel to live in Israel. Since coming back, I've carried on being in research, and I got married, and I have two wonderful children. That's me in a snapshot. Wow, that's a very rich history. Thank you very much. There are no coincidences. You met with Sefiso a while ago. Look at us again. Dr. Falala, you have worked with, um, with, with Ruth for some time. What has it been like, uh, in a nutshell? Well, she's exceptional. She's driven. She's, uh, motivated and which is why I was interested in, uh, us maybe having an opportunity to speak to her because I think she could be an inspiration for other 
graduates, people that are studying that intend to get into the into the business world. Thank you very much for that intro, Dr. Falana. We certainly appreciate the connection that you have established with Ruth. As we proceed, Ruth, one of the biggest questions is about perception. And we know that we can't generalize about how a country or a community is being perceived. What would you say how South Africa is being perceived on the ground by in, in Israel? I think, you know, it's quite funny, but funnily enough, South Africa and Israel suffer from the same issues. About Israel, there's very distinct um dis- distinct perceptions which are not necessarily accurate and I think also about South Africa. In terms of South Africa, the one overriding perception is unfortunately that of the crime and that of discrimination. Okay. So when you say South Africa to someone, um, the first two things that come to mind is racial discrimination and crime. And besides that, they don't know much. And I think, you know, that's where Israel has the same problem. There is, I think, quite a wide lack of knowledge with regards to what South Africa is like in Israel and how how issues developed in South Africa over the last 20, 30 years and how beautiful South Africa is. So I think there's a lot, huge room for South Africa to advertise itself and tell more about itself to the Israeli people. Thank you very much for that. You raised two very poignant issues, crime and discrimination. Crime, obviously, it's something that grapples us as South Africans as well because we our stats are, are shocking, uh, to say the least. To what extent do you think these two variables are actually hindering investments to South Africa? Are they so big to a point where they crowd out investment or is it something that Israeli are looking at? Because one of the things that we know that Israel is good at is security. What would you say the perceptions are in relation to investment? About the discrimination, we, we obviously now live in a democratic dispensation with constitution that is democratic. Maybe you need to just uh, add a bit of flavor to perceptions around discrimination. Is it still about the old apartheid is, or is there a new form of discrimination that is perceived? I think it's still about apartheid. Unfortunately, I think for both countries, they get compared to each other. And I think the situations are very different. So, yes, apartheid is a word that average Israeli would know because Israel would be compared to South Africa on that level. And I don't think there's awareness, there isn't sufficient awareness of how South Africa has developed in that regard and now how it has overcome the differences. And there's a lot Israel can learn from South Africa in that regard. It's definitely something that's just an unknown. There's just not enough knowledge about South Africa, I think, in Israel, in from my perspective and my experience. In terms of business, I don't think that would deter business. Business is not deterred by discrimination, unfortunately, as history has shown us. And it's also not deterred by crime, as long as the crime can be controlled. But what does worry business is volatility. And I think the volatility of the country is an issue for business, the volatility of the exchange and of working conditions. You know, if a business knows that these are the conditions for the next 10 years, then they can make the right adjustments. If conditions change all the time, it's very difficult to make money. And that's an issue. I think the volatility more than anything. That's quite interesting to hear those kinds of insight that discrimination is not here nor there in, this, in, the, in the face of the Israeli, given the fact that business do wants to invest. I suppose perhaps maybe as we proceed, there's going to be more and more awareness of how South Africa has sort of changed the landscape of, of discrimination has changed 
to a more equitable society. Of course, we still have a lot of work to go because there are a whole lot of other challenges that we still have to overcome. Unemployment rate, we're threatening over 40%, the most uh, unequal society in the world by any measure. So that you could just see, you know, there's, there's just a lot of hindrances that are bedeviling the country that we need to go through. But on that note, before we proceed, let's take another quick second and we'll get back just a few. This is Nimrod Timbele and you are listening to Beyond Governance. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision making. Thank you very much for joining us. We are having a very interesting conversation with Ruth, who used to be a South African, who is now based in Israel. He's giving us insight on very pertinent issues about how South Africa has been perceived. One of them, obviously, is around crime and discrimination. She was just reflecting on that particular issue as to how the country has been perceived from an investment point of view. What is salient, based on what she said, is that business is more worried about volatility. Investment is based on stability. If you are not stable, you're more likely not to attract investment as we proceed. Dr. Falala, you wanted to make a follow-up on this very interesting point. And it's based on purely the perception that um, Israel is a relatively young uh, country and a country uh, with which we have so much in, in common in terms of the adversity that the country has faced has been quite successful economically, also in terms of innovating and some of the technology that is cutting edge. I saw the other day um, a drone that is being used to facilitate the delivery of medicines, for instance, in impoverished areas, and that was being used by Israel. What are some of the learnings that um, we could draw in South Africa from Israel, a relatively young country, in terms of how it has managed to succeed in the face of past adversity, present adversity, and, and still place a stake on the ground with regards to economic performance, the standard of living, and such things. I think that the age-old saying that necessity breeds innovation holds very true for Israel. Israel, unfortunately, has found itself at many times um, bombarded, you know, from all four sides, found itself at war, at wars with our neighbors, okay? And that has led to a huge investment in armaments and the military, alright? So Israel spends far too much money on funding the military and development of arms, armaments, and whatever systems go with it. So, that industry in Israel is very large and has, I say unfortunately because obviously war is unfortunate. Um, we would like to avoid them. And, but that has been the case. So that's been a huge engine for the innovation in Israel. The other thing is, you know, that Israel being so low in resources, in natural resources, essentially Israel has absolutely no natural resources. If you compare it to South Africa, Israel is a poor country. It's small. It has no natural resources. And that has also meant that um, we had to find a lot of solutions to deal with this poverty, essentially, you know, poverty, for example, electricity. We were, I think, probably the first country in the world to use solar panels uh, to drive our own electricity at home, to warm up water, for example. We were the first ones to invent perhaps uh, water, um, uh, reuse of water, because we are essentially a desert and and um, we have... Um, 
we need the water to 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 drive all our um agriculture etc and we just didn't have any sufficient amounts of it so we have uh, water sanitation i think you call it which has been a huge help to israel's economy because otherwise the rains here are insufficient so if I have to sum it up, I think necessity definitely drives innovation. The curiosity, I think curiosity, which I think also boils down to necessity breeding innovation. Curiosity is also something that marks the people. It's very clear that people here question everything, always thinking how can they do it better, faster, cheaper. So those, all of those things together, I think have helped Israel make an economic shift from where it was 30 years ago. Interesting um, that you should say that the water desalination uh, process is something that is absolutely necessary for survival. It is good to listen to this and feel in a way that we could perhaps be a little bit spoiled by all the resources that we have to the extent that we do not utilize them perhaps as, 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 as we should. Fantastic um, examples and parallels that you've drawn there, uh, Ruth. One thing that you didn't mention when we spoke about uh, crime as a potential deterrent to investment and to business performance, we do have a problem with uh, with corruption. And, and, and I'm interested to find out in a way whether or not there is a stronger perception of corruption in Israel as, as, as such as what we, we have and what the country does or has been doing to try and lessen the burden of corruption to the economy. Um, you might not believe it, but I'm of the personal opinion, my personal opinion is that South Africa is considered less corrupt than Israel. Israel is considered very corrupt by Israelis. Okay. Part of it is due to Israel being a very small market. So, it's a market controlled by about 10, 15 very wealthy families who are linked to all the top politicians. And right now, our uh, previous prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, is under investigation. And essentially, the average Israeli believes that every politician is corrupt. So believe it or not, I think to Israelis, South Africa is less corrupt, I mean to say. I think also South Africa being a much larger market where you need to diverse and disperse and um, distribute your suppliers, it by being given that physical size, in essence, it has to be less corrupt. There is no possibility to cater for the needs of so many, so many people. You know, around 60 million people live in South Africa, if, if I remember correctly. Um, it's so difficult to cater for those people if you are dealing with, say, just 10 mega groups. It's impossible to do that. Um, and in Israel, unfortunately, it is possible because Israel is small and highly controlled highly easily controlled because of the small space. So I think South Africa is actually at an advantage here. That's a very interesting observation because we used to think, and majority of us still think South Africa is the most corrupt countries in the world. But corruption, yes, we've got mechanism to try and address it. We've got the Commission of Inquiry into the State Capture, which is still cutting underway. What sort of parallel mitigating mega or superstructure that are in place in Israel, similar to South Africa in terms of bringing, you know, those that are corrupt to book. Do you have anything like that which we have in the country? And what is the success rate? Not that I'm aware of. I think you are leading in that respect. I think you are definitely ahead of us. Um, and I do think that South Africa is less corrupt just from my own personal knowledge um, than what it is in Israel when it comes to the institutions of government. I'm not aware of any institutions like you've mentioned in Israel, um, you know, parallel to what you have in South Africa. I'm not aware of that. In terms of success rate, 
you know, you can go by court cases. We don't have enough court cases, if you ask me, against leading politicians. Um, but we have. We've had, you know, a previous prime minister was in jail for about a year or two for bribery. Uh, large sums, Eld Olmel, that's his name. Um, we have a previous uh, president uh, being jailed for rape. We have now the ex-prime minister also being investigated. So you can measure the success according to the court cases, but the, most people think there's more uncovered than there is still to be uncovered than there has been uncovered. Interesting, interesting insight that you're sharing with us there, Ruth. If you've just joined us, we are having an interesting conversation with Ruth Laurie Maiman, who is the a researcher based in Israel. She used to live in South Africa. So we have got this opportunity just to juxtapose the two countries around socioeconomic uh, imperative, as it were. As we proceed, Ruth, one of the critical questions that, from investment point of view, which South Africa is still struggling, it's around the ease of doing business. When you look at the entire value chain of doing business, from the registration, compliance with tax, and so on and so forth, South Africa is badly, badly, by far, we are hopeless in that respect. When you compare Israel and South Africa from process of, of doing business, where would you pitch South Africa compared to Israel or Israel compared to South Africa? Israel is, is in a very bad spot. There is a parameter that I think that's advertised um, around the world. I don't have it um, off the top of my head, but Israel is in a very bad spot. Is, Israel is one of the most difficult places to do business in the world. I think South Africa is actually at a better spot. Although, yes, I can say from personal experience, when you want to um, do some kind of personal bureaucracy, like, you know, renewing your passport or any of that kind of thing, it takes a very long time. Um, on that perspective, Israel is the head in terms of all the personal bureaucracy, let's call it. Um, in terms of business, my feeling is that South Africa is actually better, better off than Israel. But um, I don't have the, the data. Israel is definitely a very difficult place to do work, and it's a problem that's well known. The government is trying to improve, but it's only starting now to give it a real effort. What would you consider to be the bottlenecks in Israel for, for doing business? I think the tax authorities, there's like a high tax rate. If I look at myself as an entrepreneur, you just register the business and you already expected to, to pay taxes. 60% of the workforce is employed by small businesses, but small businesses pay the highest tax rate. The large conglomerates pay like a, you know, like a almost close to one digit tax rate and they get a whole lot of benefits and kind of rewards that the small businesses never get. And it's the people here are always of the feeling that, you know, the tax authorities are hunting the small business people and are letting go of the, the large conglomerates, which really get a lot of um, assistance from the government. Um, during COVID, I can give you an example that during COVID, the government um, gave a lot of support to large businesses encouraging them to bring back people to work. And what actually happened is that um, they took the money and um, then they came up with huge profits um, towards the end of 2020 and wanted to, to share dividends with the shareholders. And all of these are public companies, some of them. And this became known that essentially they got some kind of uh, rewards and assistance from the government and now they are dishing out dividends, you know, which are because they're showing such high profits. There was a lot of uh, of uh, public criticism and those companies decided to um, put away uh, the plan to, to give the, the dividends because it was a public outrage. So how can money be given to these large conglomerates and then they just 
dish out uh, dividends. So that's just an example of how large businesses fare so much better and their lives are so much easier in comparison to the small businessmen whose life is, is not uh, easy at all. Well, that seems to be an issue here in South Africa as well. So, Fisher, you want to follow up on that question because... I think, Ruth, if you at any point you decide to come back to South Africa, a red carpet would be rolled out for you for saying that we're less corrupt and for saying that doing business in South Africa is relatively easy. We don't sometimes see it um, that way. So you would certainly be most welcomed by, by many people who would listen to some of what you had uh, to say with a great sense of relief. Uh, but thank you for that um, observation. Talk to me a little bit, because what is also exciting um, is uh, the relationship between South Africa as a country and Israel. Israel is seen by a majority of South Africans who are Christians as the holy place, the holy land, and um, and many South Africans do travel to Israel on religious pilgrimage um, for purposes of pursuing a a deeper understanding of their spirituality and the origins of their faith. What is the relationship between Israel and South Africa from that perspective, at least from an Israeli point of view? And what is the value of that type of, of tourism to the economy of Israel? The value of tourism is very high, um, just just as it is very high for South Africa. I think there isn't enough South African tourists coming to Israel. I don't know why that is, but definitely I don't come across enough South African tourists in Israel. Um, Israel has a lot to offer, despite it being very small. It has a lot of highly holy, all of the holy places, and it definitely has a sense of antiquity, you know, when you walk around here, you see you see buildings that are, you know, 4,000, 5,000 years old excavations that are that old. And it's amazing to see what people 5,000 years ago could do and we were capable of without all the machinery and the computers we have today. So I think it has, it's, it is, despite being small, it is a beautiful land um, and there is a lot for tourists from South Africa to see. It won't take you long. It will only take you seven to ten days and you will have seen the entire country. Whereas if you come to South Africa, you need to take a month and you wouldn't have seen it all. So it can also be quite a good kind of like um, budget experience if you come to Israel. You don't need to spend um, many days here. Um, definitely Nazareth is a beautiful place to see. I've personally been to a church uh, where I can't recall the exact story. It's a holy church for Christians. And I live close to Nazareth and I've been to Bethlehem um, on Christmas and it's a beautiful site. Um, and the Dead Sea is a beautiful site and a beautiful experience to float in the Dead Sea. Um, and there's a lot more, you know. That's just kind of like the, the really the, the, the biggest items on the list. Um, Tel Aviv has been declared, um, I think, one of the best cities to go out and, and have a party. Um, I think it, it competes only with the London or something like that. So Tel Aviv is definitely a very good place to come and have a, a good time if you're looking for parties. So all in all, there's really everything for everyone here. And I would love most Africans to come and, and visit us. Uh, that's interesting, Ruth. And our tourism um, has been declared as, as an industry that needs to play a significant part in our economic recovery process because we have such a diverse product, which includes oceans, natural uh, attractions, the safari, and so on and so forth. Now, since you've, you've been back in Israel, you know, what are some of the things that you miss the most about you know, being in South Africa, that you'd encourage 
um, Israeli people who might be listening to you at any point in time and based in Israel to come and visit and see and do in South Africa? When I think about Africa, um, which I which I see as my second home, I, I have to say, so um, I'm definitely not objective when it comes to South Africa. It's my second home. And when I think about South Africa and what I miss about South Africa is definitely the people. When you come to South Africa, it has a very special aura about it. There's a very special vibe in South Africa. People in South Africa smile more. When I came over here from South Africa, People kept on saying to me, why are you smiling so much? So people in South Africa, it's a true story. <laughs> it's a true story. And I think that that vibe, that aura, that sense of like relaxation, um, that sense of like, you know, we are all people. Um, I think that sometimes is lacking in, in Israel. And I wish there was a bit more of that. Um, but it's wishful thinking. I doubt whatever whatever happened here. The other thing I miss is the the wide spaces, the expenses, the just the, the roads, the the distances you can travel in South Africa, and the diverse beauties that you can see, the diverse um, terroirs and places. And the last but not least is the wine. I definitely miss the wine. <laughs> There's nothing like South African wine. Fascinating, fascinating, Ruth. Um, giving us very interesting insight about the two countries and the extent to which, uh, you know, you, you really rank South Africa uh, quite high on some areas which we, we quiver with fear just to think about. I mean, corruption and crime, uh, as an example, those are some of the things that South Africans, um, you know, really are, are struggling with. They've become a deterrent for investment, uh, as it were. We're going to take a break in just a second and we'll revert back with Ruth. And when we come back, Ruth, I just want you to reflect a little bit more on what is it that if you're to be an advisor to South African tourism, what sort of advice would you give them to try and leverage, you know, the land, the, the ocean, the beauty, the cultural diversity, um, and, and all those Beautiful things which I don't think we are able to leverage on to become a dominant force to be reckoned with from a tourism point of view. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. Welcome back. Uh, it's amazing how time fly when you are having interesting conversation. We are joined by Ruth Maiman, who is based in Israel. She used to live in South Africa and giving us a, her own anecdotal uh, and views about how South Africa has been viewed by Israel and vice versa. It's quite interesting. Before we took that quick break, I wanted Ruth to reflect a little bit more on what is it that needs to be done different if Ruth were to advise the South African tourism fraternity? Because I don't think we are leveraging on tourism as one sector that could draw substantial employment opportunities, especially for youth. What your advice would be in promoting tourism? From my experience, I haven't been um, exposed to South African tourism campaigns um, as an Israeli. And I think just a general campaign to Israelis would do good. A lot more awareness as a destination. I think there isn't enough awareness regarding South Africa in Israel. And just, it's just an, even the most ordinary campaign showing the beauty of the country uh, would do the job of creating more awareness. The other thing I think that I would try to elaborate on and kind of explain more is 
the recent history of South Africa in the last 30 years. So what has changed? Because people are still stuck, um, you know, what South Africa was like 30 years ago. And they're not aware of the changes. And I think there have been wonderful changes that need to come to the front. So I would talk about that. And if I consider Israel as a target market for South Africa, in Israel there's two very distinct uh, segments. There's three segments, let's say. The older the older travelers, the pensioners, who are already there. There's quite a large amount of South African tourism coming from Israeli pensioners. So I think that's already being, um, that's happening. But the other two segments which are distinct in Israel and I don't think are being addressed by South Africa is youngsters. When I say youngsters, he's 18, 20 year olds. In Israel, every young person has to go to the army. The men, they go for three years. The women, they go for two years. It's, um, it's, um, compulsory conscription. And so when they finish their military service, um, they are eager to go out into the world and experience the world. And that's a huge segment. Every young person in Israel would do this kind of like post-military service excursion. Largely, they go to South America, to New Zealand, to Australia. They're not aware at all of South Africa. And I think for South Africa um, to to welcome them and to make it possible for them, there needs to be a few more backpacking options, you know, cheap options for sleeping around South Africa and getting around South Africa. So that's the one key segment, if you're thinking about Israel, that South Africa, I'm not sure, is tapping into. The other sector segment that I think is key is kids. Israel is a country full of kids. The average family here has three children. Every family has at least three children. It's um it's a very high birth rate. Um and so Israelis are keen to go to places with their kids, with small kids. And South Africa has a lot to offer for kids entertainment and for kids to do things with animals and see nature. You know, like my child, she she was diving with um the, the sharks and we went to the water world in Durban and it was a wonderful excursion and we were walking with elephants. We went the safari in the Kruger and she saw all of these animals come up to her. You know, those things are completely undoable in Israel and kids have a great time in South Africa. I just, I'm not sure that South Africa is packaging that in its campaigns as much as it could. I will do those few things if possible. Fantastic, fantastic. Sifiso, do you want to have a follow-up question, particularly on the, the history? I mean, the point that you've made, it's so interesting that there's not much understanding or awareness of the South African recent history. There's been pieces of legislation that were ushered, that were meant to bring about equality and equity, and the extent to which these pieces of legislation have gone a long way in bringing normality in the country. And those are obviously, you know, very useful snippets that give an indication of a progressive outlook of a country. For an example, the constitution, which has been heralded as the most progressive constitution in the world. That's something that obviously needs to be showcased about. The entire landscape, the level, all the, you know, the section chapter nine uh, institutions, like your human rights uh, commission and so on and so forth. So those are a whole lot of recent history you know, initiatives that have sort of changed the landscape of the country. I would be interested just to see how Sifiso's line of thought in that point that was made by Ruth. Yeah, it's interesting because you look at the duration of the flight. I think it does affect the desire to travel uh, to South Africa, obviously flying right across the, the, the continent to, to get to to South Africa. 
and the possibility of also having direct uh, floods on a more regular basis does affect that. And communicating more clearly about the the products that we have, making it more attractive. I guess also if you look at the tourist market for South Africa, the biggest uh, market is by, by far the UK market from a value point of view. And from a European point of view, in terms of the volume, our biggest market is the UK. But UK also has got a large population. Israel has a population of 9.5 million people. So I guess we need to communicate a bit more specifically when targeting the Israeli market. And what I find interesting, Ruth, is the successes of Israel for that population size with a GDP of over 470 US dollars, a billion US dollars, which is way more than our GDP with 60 million people. There's a lot that Israel is doing right. And it's not necessarily the government that's doing it. Just hold on that point, Ruth, because I think it's very important as we gravitate towards the end of the show. Let's sort of deeply delve on that particular issue because we want to know what is it that attributes the success of Israel. You said it's not necessarily government. There's a sense of a very strong and embedded entrepreneurship. This is beyond governance. You're listening to Nimrod Mbele. We are definitely having exciting conversation with our guest. Ruth is such a, an interesting, interesting, interesting guest tonight because there's so much that we have all learned from Ruth Mabel, who is a researcher based in Israel, and she's really given us food for thought. Let's take a, a break. We'll be back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. We're literally gravitating towards the end of the show. I'm joined by Ruth Maiman as well as Dr. Sefiso Falala. We are having an interesting conversation around how Israel perceives South Africa and how South Africa has been perceived by ordinary Israeli and vice versa. The idea in a nutshell is to get to a point where we are able to learn from Israel in terms of what is it that uh, such a small country has been so successful within a very short space of time. Those kind of lessons, we want to see how, you know, we can harness those uh, to a point where we are able to get South Africa back on track. Ruth, before we took that uh, short break, you are about to give us a sense on what is it that we need to be doing differently. And I suppose this is where Sifiso wanted to make a follow-up. Please proceed. If I can reflect on Israelis and what uh, makes them different, I think um, the first thing that I w- would say is that they're not afraid of hard work. And I think due to South African legacy, there's been um, a little bit of a, a sense of work division. You know, I do this work, you do that work, he will do that part and I will do my part. When an, an Israeli entrepreneur starts, he realizes that he has to do everything with his own hands. And he's not afraid to do that. There's a lot of hard work ethic here, work ethic. And I think the desire to be quick and efficient also drives a lot of innovation. Sifiso, you wanted to make a follow-up on that point? I think it's inspiring. It's been a, an inspiring discussion, more than I had actually expected. Hard work, of course, we should have known, is the key to success and hence the in excess of the $120 billion that they have on their economy, despite not having resources, like Ruth uh, said, intimated earlier, and despite having a small country the size of uh, Kruger National Park, and despite having 9.5 million people, but the innovation and the hard work seems to be the key 
to the success of the nation of Israel. I could not agree with you more. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. Uh, Ruth, uh, Laurie, Maimon, thank you very much for coming through. We've certainly opened our eyes, and I'm sure the listeners would certainly have a, a refreshed perspective, particularly those that have not been to Israel. So there's so many opportunities that are available from a tourism point of view, and we certainly hope some of our listeners, and, and I want to challenge some of our authorities here to repackage the tourism you know, material that you've given us. Coincidentally, we have got a follow-up conversation with the CEO of Brand South Africa, and I will bring these issues to attention for tourism could play such a critical role. And the fact that you have been in South Africa, you have not been exposed to any campaigns or material that could enhance hospitality or tourism as it were, it's definitely not something that we could all be pleased. Without any waste of time, thank you very much for coming through, Sifiso uh, and Laurie Maimon, on those uh, points that you've shared with us. Much appreciated. Thanks for the time. You have a beautiful country. Thank you very much. You've got a beautiful soul. We certainly hope we'll live rich on your soul again. And and we'll definitely call on you in the nearest future so that we can specifically maybe go deeper on some of the issues that you have raised. With pleasure. Thank you very much. It was Ruth uh, Laurie Maimon, who is based in Israel. She's a Sarah. She used to live and work in South Africa. She's now based over there and giving us a very interesting perspective by way of juxtaposing what is happening in South Africa and what is happening in Israel. We also were joined by Dr. Sifisa Falala, had worked with Ruth Laurie over some years, and it was interesting just to see that camaraderie spirit resurfacing on air. Let's do this again next week.